All right, big kids, turn in your Bibles to John 6. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events and find Reservoir Church and all the notes and scripture will be there for you. And the big idea today is that Jesus, or faith in Jesus, is really enough. That what we are destined for, what he desires as a savior for us to have before him is simply belief or faith in him. And from the resurrection life of Easter Sunday that we just experienced, here we are continuing to determine to live in the way of Jesus by the power of his spirit. And just to give you guys a sense of where we're headed in uh, the coming weeks and months in our Sunday sermons, in May we're going to do a series called Body Life. We're just going to talk about what it means to be part of the church and how we unite together for the glory of Christ. And then following that series, we are going to launch into the book of Galatians and continue that study for the rest of the year. But for the month of April, the remaining three weeks that we have, we're taking a brief journey just through one chapter in John's gospel, John 6. So why would we do John 6? Well, for one, it's the longest chapter in the New Testament. And so there's a lot of information from Jesus in this chapter. And its length is full of deep and rich Christian theology. So our thoughts of God and how we should approach him and what our lives are to look like. And on issues that people, frankly, have trouble hearing about from the Apostle Paul and other books of the New Testament, we hear these same truths right from the mouth of Jesus himself. And he unpacks in John 6 what it means to believe in him, and he hints at what living in the way looks like. And to to be honest, I, just as a, a Christian, as a pastor, as a father and friend, I need John 6. Because it's one of these chapters in the New Testament that just roots us in Christ and it keeps us there, even in the crush of opposition, and it brightens our eyes still with hope because this is the one with the words of life. And it proclaims what I want to understand and savor more about Jesus, that it's just the truth of who he is and how we can believe in him. And so we're going to take it in just three movements uh, with the first movement this week, looking at a miraculous meal and the eternal meaning of this meal. So faith in Jesus is really enough. Hear the word of the Lord from John 6, and I'll read verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? 
And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Good and holy God, we thank you for your word and for this encounter on the coast of the Sea of Tiberias, that among those looking for hope, Jesus responds with provision and the miraculous. Lord, we are like those people that we have come today to sit at your feet and to hear from you and find hope and provision for our lives. Lord, use this word, this truth from John 6 to stir us, to embolden us, to cling to you all the more and know that faith in you is really enough. Be glorified in this place above all else in Jesus' name. Amen. So faith in Jesus is really enough. And most of us have heard this story before probably many times and from all kinds of different angles. And today we just want to sit before it and see what we can glean from this feast of abundance that Jesus provides for those that follow him. And it starts with the phrase, after this, so that indicates rightly that we are in the midst of Jesus' ministry, like other things have been going on. And just before this, in chapter 5, Jesus has been teaching about authority and what it means to actually have authority and who it is that he obeys. And he continues then to perform miracles. He's healing the sick. He's restoring the broken. And the author here, John, gives us the clue that Passover is upon them. So we know he is kicking off essentially his third year of ministry. And things are going to start to ramp up dramatically from here as he's headed to the fourth Passover where he'll give himself up on the cross. And that's the timing that we celebrated last week with the resurrection after his crucifixion on the cross. And so we've entered into now the final phase of Jesus's ministry and his claims of deity and authority before the people. And he says that the signs that he is doing are all witnesses of who he is. And scripture also, along with the signs, are witness of who he is. And if the people have the eyes to see it, he essentially says, he's here in the flesh. And his desire is that those who encounter him would believe him. They recognize the signs pointing to this Messiah who has come, and then they would put their faith in him, that they would believe in him. And in this first movement of the chapter, this miraculous meal, Jesus meets together with his disciples, and then he feeds the crowd that follows him. 
So why would they come? Why would thousands of people come? And it's easy to, to realize it's the signs, isn't it? This is something dramatically different than normal life. As he's been preaching the kingdom's arrival, miracles have been happening, and he is essentially the sight to see. So people from all over want to come, not only to hear how he preaches with authority, but to witness the miraculous things that he does. So there's an anticipation among the people of this region. There's this um, abiding wonder over what he will say and do next. So he's one being watched and followed. In receiving this miraculous meal, the people realize that Jesus is something extra. He's different than other rabbis or other teachers. And verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, in John 6, there's a lot of embedded history here. And John is essentially tying the ministry of Jesus back to the ministry of Moses and in the people's hope for a prophet. And they're remembering the words that Moses spoke is they declare that surely he is the prophet that come in, came into the world. And we see it from Deuteronomy 18, 15. And the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him that you shall listen. There's to be a change of the guard, essentially, from the old prophetic voice of Moses to the new that has come. And John wants us to recognize that this is Jesus and the people have started to see this here. There's also other symbolism. There's five loaves, right? Do you recognize the five loaves there? It probably represents the five books of Moses, the law, which in chapter 5, Jesus says, actually stood as an accuser of the people because they've had misplaced hopes in this political Israel, in this redemption from oppressors, but had missed what God had called them actually to. And so John 6 is giving us Jesus essentially as the greater Moses. It's the same call the author of Hebrews will give us in, in clear terms. And the people catch on. And they start to believe because Jesus delivered. He performed the miracle. And this is how it goes down. It's, he's not one of these teachers that stays far, far off in extravagance and has his meal brought to him. And then he leaves the green room and goes and preaches to the mass. No, he is a kind teacher. He sits with his disciples and he sees the crowd coming toward, toward him. And before anyone can even say that they're hungry, he determines to feed them. And, and here's where we see what we've come to see this morning in the story. Because Jesus recognizes the crowds coming and he asks Philip, one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Then in the next verse, John clues us in on why Jesus is asking this question. And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Jesus knows that he is about to perform a miracle. And it's a miracle that is one that generations of believers will recount and cherish and will teach from pulpits in 2021. So he doesn't actually want to know where he can get bread enough for the huge crowd. Like we have to recognize that. He wants his disciples to respond to the circumstance with faith. 
He desires for them to have complete trust in him, to have confidence in him. And by now you would think after two years of ministry, there would be some sense that when this guy talks about feeding people, that it's going to happen. He's already worked so many miracles. He's done so much Jesus math that they should have caught on by this point. He wants the crowd to respond with faith. He wants us to respond with faith. Because Jesus, in this moment, is stirring the pot of what we need. He's cooking a meal that's going to nourish our souls. And you'll be glad to know that he proves the point through food. I want to live very happy that some of the best miracles are given to us. And it's through bread. I'm so sorry for some of our gluten intolerant friends. This is such a grace. One day... The brokenness will be restored and we will gather at a table and eat lots of gluten together. One old reformer says, God wanted to develop and refine our faith that those who are able to entrust their belly to God in physical life may also be able to entrust their soul to God in eternal life. For those who are faithful in that which is least will also be faithful in that which is great. So Philip, How can we get bread for these people? Testing, testing. And Philip answers that essentially a ton of cash wouldn't be enough to buy just a bite for each person. And so Philip approaches the situation and he sees it as too big of a problem. This can't be overcome. It can't be handled. There are just too many mouths to feed. There's five thousand men and uh, you know thanks for just counting the dudes here but it's likely then that there's 10,000 or so following Jesus here because the guys just wouldn't come alone so there is a huge crowd and so even if they had more resources it just wouldn't cover the need like it would break the bank that Judas is already stealing from right so they don't have enough money to buy the resources that are needed And that's all that Philip sees. He just sees the numbers. He just says, we can't feed 5,000 men and everyone else with them. And then Andrew, another disciple, pipes up about what they do have. And he says, well, there's this boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew, approaching the same issue, sees that they don't have a big enough solution. So where Philip saw the problem is too big, Andrew sees the solution as too small. And neither of them respond in faith. They don't tap into their biblical memory of God's provision for his people. They can't see beyond the statistics and the insurmountable odds that are before them. Now, how many, how many of you are Marvel fans and... Quite a few hands have gone up, and so the Schraders as a family, for better or for worse, are going through all of the Marvel movies in chronological order so we get the full sense of the story. And we were watching recently The Age of Ultron, right? You know, you know this, the Marvel people. If you're not Marvel people, that's on you. And uh, you can get Disney Plus and check it out. But the Avengers are, are planning to take on Ultron in this uh, pivotal scene that I want to bring to our mind. And the question comes up, how they're going to face such an overwhelming force. There's just more Ultrons than they know what to deal with. And Captain America, always the leader, says, we'll face it together. 
right? And then I think maybe it's Thor says, well, what if we die? And uh, or I'm getting the story wrong, but somebody says, what if we die? And Tony Stark says, we'll die together. And it's this pivotal moment in the movie that they know they're united and they're going to face this. And they respond essentially with faith in what they have, the team of them, the Avengers together, and passing the test for the disciples here may have been, Jesus, we've got two dimes, but I'm confident that you'll find a way to feed the hungry. Like That could have been Philip's response. Like We don't have much money, but we need you to work a miracle and provide for these people. Or Andrew could have said, we have five loaves and two fish. Do your Jesus math and multiply it for these people. That would have been a response of faith. And we look at it, though, and we can understand easily that Philip and Andrew are not the heroes of this story. Right? They've given the wrong answer. They've tried their best to look at the situation to provide a solution, but have come up short. And maybe in your long hearing of sermons and children's messages, you've heard that the boy was the hero of the story because he's the one that gives up his lunch, and there may be some truth to that, but I want you to understand, friends, that the hero in this story, the one that we are to have faith in, is Jesus. Because he does not rail against the absence of faith. He has the opportunity to correctively lash out at Philip and Andrew and say, you guys are so weak in your faith. Have you not paid attention for the last two years? But he doesn't even bring it up. He just feeds the people. He takes the bread. He breaks it, essentially, and gives thanks. And then he hands it out to those who were seated. Like, and I, I didn't notice this before in the account of the story. It was kind of new to me this week that Jesus himself distributes the meal to those that are seated. He takes on the work. He provides the miraculous meal for the people. And in this moment, it is not their faith nor the absence of it that directs the outcome. It is the object of faith that directs the outcome. Jesus directs the outcome and provides the meal. And it is a miracle. He feeds Upwards of 10,000 people with five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And even if this was like the record-setting catch of fish, they, they would not be enough to feed this many people. He multiplies it. And if you ever hear someone, especially a pastor, say something along the lines of, well, everyone had their own lunch, and then they, he, he has them all pull it together and... That's how they they got to eat it. You should tell that person to sit down and stop speaking. Because this is a miracle. This is unexplainable. The creator of the universe is determined to feed people. And he does it with meager resources. Out of nothing he creates. And it's not just barely enough to appetize the crowd. We know they got as much as they wanted until they had eaten their Phil, this is an all-you-can-eat miracle. Oh, how we'll rejoice if we can ever go to Golden Corral again. (laughs) Even so, the, the disciples are told to gather up 12 baskets of fragments so that nothing may be lost. Like We're getting so many clues as to how Jesus approaches people. 
He desires to feed them. He desires that nothing would be lost between him and them. There's an overabundance, not only in desire and care for people, but in the provision that he gives them. And Jesus, out of care for the people, just feeds them. Some of us need to hear that, that Jesus cares for you and desires to feed you, that you would have faith in him. Those gathering to him are just like chicks running up to the mother hen. As one preacher says, and let us not doubt that there will always be the same love for us if we are disciples of Christ, such that he sits and rests among us, feeding us by his spirit, no differently than when he sat and rested among his disciples and fed them. This isn't just a historical account for you to have a good story to hear. This is a reminder of how Jesus loves and dwells with you to feed you. Now how we need to recognize this, that he still does miracles, even when we don't have faith to see them. Because it's far too easy for us to get the, in, lost just in the size of problems or our circumstances as individuals or as a collective people that what is against us is just too big. We just can't handle it. We can be beat down by the lack of a solution following under the accusation of the law, essentially, as Jesus calls it, just stuck doing better, getting up earlier to solve the problem or strategizing in our own strength, pulling our resources, but essentially leaving Jesus out of it. As if he's left us to just figure it out. And that's, that's hogwash, friends. And I'd say something stronger, but there's children. And my mother's here. But when we don't approach Jesus for the meal, we don't see a need for miracles because we have essentially lost faith in his ability to do miracles. And it's a winding road that essentially leads to an even a destination of questioning our salvation. If he doesn't have the ability to do a miracle to provide for me now, well, maybe he doesn't really have the power or authority to save me. Maybe I have to be better first. Maybe I have to do something more than have faith to be accepted. And essentially, we end up with this pessimistic faith that is overwhelmed by the crowd side. When we do involve Jesus, this is another way we approach it, we tend to uh, try to get him to behave in the way that we want to, differently than he desires to. And we, we see this in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Like, without a doubt, I am a kingdom of God Person, right? We talk about the kingdom at Reservoir Church a lot. That you are no longer citizens here, but you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and that is where your priority is to be. That's to shape how you live, right? So, shouldn't Jesus be made king in this moment? It doesn't make perfect sense. Like Jesus 2020, we saw those yard signs. Some of y'all had them, right? Like. We want to take him by force and make him king. But the problem is here, the people want him to be king in the way they desire for him to be king. Not in the way that he has come to be king. 
Eugene Peterson wrote that we can't make Jesus do what we think he ought to do. We can't make him conform to our ideals of how he should rule. He is indeed king, but the way he rules is not our way. Jesus did not respond to the doubts with more strategy or a campaign to raise the funds that were needed to feed the people. He just said, have the people sit down. There's all kinds of refining going on in the global church in our day. And just like John 6, those with faith that have an abiding trust in Jesus, those clinging to him, sitting at his feet will be the ones that stick around. And they're the ones that see the bread and the fish for what it is, miraculous provision open to all who believe. When I was in seminary, Stacy and I were invited along with uh, another couple in the seminary to have dinner at a professor's house. Like this is like, you know, I think professors probably just work through students so you felt like you were loved and cared for. But the, the Laneys did love and care for us. They're a great professor, had a great relationship, kind of a mentor in some ways while I was in seminary. But we were there having dinner. I don't even remember what we ate, but I remember a conversation that Ben, the other student, was recounting his day and they were in a, a much different situation and coming to seminary than we were and so they were they didn't have a lot of money they needed a lot of assistance and help and his wife needed a prescription for something and he just could not afford it and as he is at the pharmacy there someone in line offers to pay for his prescription he's recounting this story but he knows that our professor carl is a cessationist so he doesn't believe that the gifts continue today. He doesn't believe that there's miraculous that is happening by the work of the Spirit today. And so Ben chose his words carefully. And he's like, so Professor Laney, you could say that God really worked through my circumstances or the coincidences of my life today. And you guys know I'm not one to stay quiet or just or sit back and not make my opinion hurt. So I said, no, Ben, that was a miracle. God works his provision in your life. And we have to be the people that see the bread and the fish the way we are supposed to and recognize in faith that this is actually how God works then and today for us and for his glory. You have to listen, guys. Miracles are happening. Jesus is still feeding his people with scraps that become a feast. And if we will sit with him, we will see it. I read this week about uh, the church in Lukau, Poland, old Cold War era communist region, 30,000 people and not a single Christian, no one in the church. There were zero believers in the town. And after steady discipleship, after six years of no response, can you imagine six years of no one coming to faith? The spirit moves and in 12 months, there are Seven new believers, people who never believed or heard of Jesus before now put faith in him, have been baptized and are part of the church. And so it is a 700% increase in the church. And us Westerners, we hear this and we're like, oh, those are small numbers, just seven people. You surely could have used resources differently. But you have to understand the angels in heaven rejoiced over each miracle of salvation in Lukau, Poland. And Jesus is not done feeding his people. 
We here in Reservoir Church, we have prayed for those who were sick with no solution in sight. And the Lord has restored them overnight. Jesus is appearing in the dreams of our neighbors, of our dear friends in North Africa, gone to bring the gospel. And God's doing the work. And they just show up and they're like, I had this dream about Jesus. Can you help me understand it? He's calling people to himself, and he is not done feeding his people. We, like those seated before Jesus, receiving faith in him, that we would realize it is enough. The work he does, the way he does it, is enough for us. This is provision for us. It is the way into his grace for the forgiveness of sins and the new life that he grants us, just having faith in him. It's the way for us to live obediently before him. It's the way to kill sin in our own lives. It's the way to serve the least among us by having faith in the shepherd. Later in John chapter 6, Jesus will answer the questions. And I'm going to give you a little preview of next week. And he answers the people by saying, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has said. To have Faith in him and his miraculous meal leads us here to faith in him. His provision in our lives, friends, is in overabundance. He provides and he is still working for his glory and our good. He is still feeding his people. And this is exactly what this story in John 6 is. It's just an invitation to faith in him, to believe and to see miracles, to trust Jesus and to know that he is more than just a prophet. Faith in Jesus is really enough. Friends, I encourage you today in hearing of the miraculous provision that Jesus works and his promise to continue to work in that same way, that we would have faith. Believe in Jesus, that your disregard of God, your rejection of his way is solved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for you. That you can, in fact, now belong to his family. You can have a new identity as a child of God. You can be justified before God and made more like Jesus as you sit with him because of who he is and what he has done. And I think it's also here for us that we would live with faith, that we would surrender the statistics of our circumstance to Jesus. We'd hand over the half empty glasses of our lives and find hope again in Jesus and his spirit and that we would be fed by him. We'd live a life of receiving faith and seeing how he might work miracles in our lives or around us for his glory, for the expansion of his kingdom and for our good. This is all I want in my walk with Jesus. And I pray it is for you as well. More of him. Faith in him. Because it really is enough. Hear the words of Martin Luther. As we hear the gospel, we give thanks to God for his benefits. This miracle was recorded. We should preach it in Christendom, and we should listen to it, grasp it, and learn from it. Certainly it happened so that we might believe. 
this passage should remind us and rouse us to say, because Christ did this here, he will do it again. Therefore, since I believe our Lord God will say, I will have food to eat. Do it again, Lord. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as some in weary situations that we are tired, that it has been hard, and and we ask that you help our belief. We believe, help my unbelief before you. Lord, we read of your accounts of miracles in Scripture, and we wonder if there's still that kind of juice for us today. Is there still a way that you would work among us for your glory and our good? Lord, we do not want to be people that puts your spirit in a box and says, well, he only works, he only brings miracles and dreams to frontier places because we recognize that this is a frontier place. That anywhere that there are hearts that have grown cold to you and to your way, that you desire to bring miracles to draw people to yourself, to confirm your word. We ask that you would do that among us and among your church. That we'd see the kingdom go forth with power. Lord, we surrender the statistics of our circumstance to you. The fear over crowd size. The problem that is too big. And we say we believe you are the solution and you are really enough. Help us believe that more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.